started at 35 and then there was a, a gradual progression. So over a period of a number of weeks, I, I would go from 35, I went up to 40, jumped from 40 to 50, found that a little uncomfortable, stayed at 50 for a couple of weeks. But ultimately I, I managed to get right up to 90 grams an hour of, of carbs. Hello and welcome to The Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. I'm Alan McCubbin. And I'm Steph Gaskell. We're both accredited sports dietitians based in Melbourne and combined have over 30 years experience working with runners, cyclists and triathletes to help them stay healthy and optimise their performance from complete beginners through to professional and Olympic athletes. Each week we take a deep dive into the most common nutrition questions that runners, cyclists and triathletes ask sort of stuff that people are talking about on their training run or ride in a coffee shop afterwards or jumping online to try and figure out. So we'll take that question, break it down and invite a guest expert, researcher or practitioner in our A episode, and then an athlete or coach in our B episode to add their unique perspective as well. Today, it's episode 41B, what is gut training and how do I do it? And our special guest is ultra runner and coach Ash Daniels. So in this episode, we're going to discuss the reasons that uh, Ash might benefit from gut training, and this is something that he looked at at the start of this year. We're going to look at the process that he went through and how he actually did that gut training and what the end goal from that was. We're going to look at the benefits he got from that training and the progress that he achieved in just two or three months of gut training and what's coming next for him in that space, and also reflecting on what he found easy or difficult throughout that process. Okay. It's another week, another week closer to the deadline for you, Steph, with your PhD thesis submission. Yeah. How's it all going and how are you going? Good. Yeah, yeah, I'm um, feeling a lot better now. I locked myself in the office for the entire weekend. Um, I had my partner Tanya feeding me and, um, yeah, I'm feeling, I'm feeling better now. So I'm pretty much ready to submit very very soon um yeah and i've been yeah been starting to run out and notice that it's a bit difficult to breathe so i'm going to give myself a couple two three weeks and then i'll be running five hours and um then we'll both be very happy yes exactly right data glorious (laughs) data for me yeah (laughs) yes and uh less work for you less work for me yeah exactly and how are you going yeah not too bad unfortunately uh we've had covid through the family again the second time in about four months five months something like that i've managed to avoid it somehow um yeah one of the kids is sick but keeps returning negative tests so i don't know what's going on there whether we've got two unrelated illnesses in the household at the same time or not who knows but uh Mm. yeah Mm. anyway Mm. somehow i've dodged the bullet so far but maybe i'm just delaying the inevitable we'll find out this time next week i think yeah (laughs) fingers crossed fingers crossed it steers clear yeah exactly right Mm. let's get into social media shout out steph uh what have we had this week i don't think we've had anything particularly on instagram but we had one on twitter Mm. Yeah, so we had um, Mart Martin who actually um, participated in your study hour. Um, so mm. I've um, run with him for five hours. Lovely guy. Um, he said, um, 
with last week's episode on gut training, he commented, where is my pen and paper? We'll need to pay attention and apply for my marathon. He's doing Melbourne Marathon, I believe. So yep. I think that's is that's going to be his first marathon. I believe. Uh, not sure. He's done a lot of ultra racing. Yeah, um, I think this is his first yeah. marathon well, road first race. First one in a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so good luck for that. Um, and then we actually did actually scooter. Um, a friend of mine um, messaged on Instagram um, about episode forty-one A and said that was a cracker. So that was gut training. Always amazed me what we bike messengers could tolerate in terms of food and volumes in a work day. Um, that informal gut training definitely helped me out in my 8-hour and 12-hour MTB racing fad phase that he went through. Um, he was a very good rider um, and he said, good job, gang. Thanks, Scooter. Awesome. Mm. Awesome. And uh, have you reintegrated into society now you've pretty <laughs> much finished your thesis, Steph, or are you uh, still, Not, uh, still yeah. uh, getting over the shock? Yeah, uh, not um, out in the real world yet. So um, perhaps this week I'll I'll be out and about. And now that I'm having to get myself fit again, um, I might. Yeah, and my trick is maybe just to start conversations with people I see along the way, so then I can have a break <laughs> from the running. <laughs> yep, fair enough. All right, and just a reminder, if you want to contact us on social media and provide any feedback uh, or you've got a particular question you'd like answered on the podcast, you can contact us at The Long Munch on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. And, uh, yeah, if you'd love to leave a rating or review on the podcast app that you're probably listening to this uh, podcast on right now, then that would be very much appreciated as well. Today's episode is episode 41B, what is gut training and how do I do it, with ultra runner Ash Daniels. So Ash is a, an ultra runner, um, and we'll hear a bit about the sort of events he runs in just a sec in this interview, from the UK originally, but living in Sydney these days. And uh, he actually started working with you, Steph, at the start of this year. And we'll talk a bit about this again in the interview about why he was talking to you and, and what sort of stuff that you were doing with him but gut training was was a big part of that it was interesting because he did some work with you and then went away and did that gut training and then your thesis writing got out of control so then he went back to see you and you sort of said oh I'm a bit too busy can you go see Alan instead so he ended up going to see me a few months later and I sort of just sort of started chatting to him and said oh you know what have you done with Steph so far oh yeah I've been doing this gut training since February oh, okay well where you know how's it going and he told me I was like wow, that's like incredible, the effectiveness of the gut training that you've done. So mm. when this topic came around, I thought he's the perfect person to have a chat to about gut training and mm. you're having a look at his experience and obviously, you know, with your input, Steph, in terms of what you did and why and then his experience of how it actually went in the mm. real world and um, where he's got to from that perspective, which is is fantastic. So Ash is also an ultra running coach. He runs a business called Journey to Ultra. I think a really interesting episode, Steph, and obviously you did some great work with him. Anything else you want to add before we start the interview? Uh, no, I think um, it it was nice to see how, how it all went for him and how like we both could work together um, with Ash on this and, yeah, see the positive outcome of it and then we're just waiting to see that hopefully it goes well um, for his 100 miler. 
Yeah, absolutely, which is coming up later in the year. But, yeah, no, I think great opportunity and, and all three of us sort of said afterwards when we stopped recording this, it was a really nice uh, chance to reflect on, you know, what you'd done, what I'd done, mm. what he'd done and how it's all sort of come together. So it was really nice mm. from that perspective, which is, I guess, a benefit from us rather than a yeah. benefit for the listeners. Yeah, yep, yep. Mm. Awesome. All right. Well, without further ado, we'll get into this episode and hear our discussion with Ash Daniels. Let's do it. All right, Ash Daniels, welcome to The Long Munch. How are you going over there in Sydney? Thank you for the invite, Alan. Thank you for the invite, Steph. Um, cold and wet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the whole east coast of Australia these days. It's just cold and wet. Although here it's <laughs> sunny and cold. We're having, yeah. you know, scraping the ice off our cars every morning. But, um, but beautiful sunshine at the moment, but wet. A few weeks ago, but you guys have just copped rain and after rain after rain and had trail races and things cancelled because of it. Yeah, there's been a number of them, and I, th- I think the biggest one that was hit was UTA. They had mm. to reschedule and push back several months to October. Yeah. Mm. And, and are the trails starting to recover a bit now, or is the, the deluge just continuing? No, it still continues. Unfortunately, um, I, I do a fair bit of training up in the Blue Mountains, and mm. a lot of the trails up there are still closed, unfortunately. Yeah. And so I'm having to do all my, my runs locally, which is not too bad. I've, I've got a lot of local trails I can run, um, and it's much better to get up there where it's a lot steeper and more relevant mm. and specific what, for what I'm training for. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Well, that's probably a, a nice little segue. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about, I guess, the kind of events that you you do train and race for, and, and what you've got sort of on the agenda at the moment? Yeah, so I generally like to do events that are trail and mountain orientated. I've I've done. We talked around UTA. I've done UTA a number of times now. I've also done some of the classics here in in New South Wales, six foot track. I really enjoyed yep. that event. And I've gone and done events as well, longer events up in, in Queensland, although I did struggle up there, that was, that was with the, the heat. Yep. Um, and also I've, I've done an event over in the UK, which I really event, enjoyed. Um, that was a multi-day event awesome. um, back home. So that, 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 was, that was that. But generally um, I do events anything from 25K up to the miler, 160 plus K. Small yep. range, really. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. <laughs> yeah awesome um and so you know you've obviously done a number of these events in the past what what's your experience been from a nutrition point of view in the past Have things worked out well has it been troublesome um yeah how's that been yeah a a bit of a mix Jalen. what i've i've found is and and the reason i ended up chatting to steph originally was i i thought i had my nutrition pretty nailed and that was from the perspective of no GI issues, as in I, I, yep. I've got a reasonably good gut mm. and I can take things on board. The perspective I'd never took it from, though, was the amount of carbs and energy I was taking them on board. Mm-hmm. So previously, I used to uh, use products where I would mix them and prior to races, I'd, I'd it was a bit hit and miss. I'd measure a little bit out. I'd put it in a flask. I'd squeeze a gel in, and I'd, I'd take that to the event and and run run the event with that. Um, and I, I was finding I, I kept having this recurring event, specifically around UTA. If people know the UTA course, about 50k in, 
just after that, there's a real beast of a set of stairs called Nelly's Glen. <laughs> and on a regular basis, I would, I could only describe as I'd, I'd fall apart on that. Um, I, I'd really, really struggle. And it wasn't from conditioning. I was well conditioned. Mm. Um, and in hindsight, when I look back, the nutrition, it was around probably about six hours in plus generally when I was getting there. And I was probably well under fuel by the time I'd got there. Mm-hmm. And what I was finding as well, the next checkpoint after that is um, a couple of K in up in Katoomba, where I would then generally have a flat Coke. I would have that. And then miraculously, I would be okay. back on it again. Um, I never put two and two together. Um, my assumption was because I'm not having GI issues, that my nutrition was pretty mm. on on form when mm. in hindsight looking back and certainly now knowing what I've done and the training I've done um, recently it probably wasn't as optimum as it could be mm. I think the product I, and I only realized afterwards this is an interesting one the product I was using at the time they also and recommended not mixing it with other products mm. so I I had this, and I didn't realize that at the time. And there's some very mm. small writing in the small small print that says, don't take this product with other things. And and I was. So probably a bit of a fail there on, on my part. And not fully understanding the concepts of, mm. of fueling and how to correctly fuel for a race as well. Even yeah, yeah. though I'd done quite a number of quite experienced, uh, it was still an area that I, I definitely had not, not got. Mm-hmm. down yep. pat and, and worked on well yep and so it sounds like that's kind of the context you, you started working with Steph at the start of the year and that's kind of sounds like that's the the reason that you sort of came to see her was to try and dial that fueling in better yeah there was the there's the race perspective for the event I've got coming up and I was also as well from a training perspective one of the wanted to talk to Steph around I, I didn't feel that was got my training nutrition sorted during the week and again when when Steph and I sat down it became very obvious that that was the case Um, what I thought was was right was I was dramatically under fueling for some of my sessions and not getting nowhere near enough protein in to recover and then having the sessions with Steph and, and working out a plan for, for that for the during the week that, that that made a massive difference to to my training yeah and then we started working on 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 the gut training as well for for the longer runs and more aligned to a, a longer distance event yep okay and so this might be more for you Steph I guess so at this stage you're working with Ash there's no specific gut issue per se which is generally what people would assume that gut training is for so it sounds like here it was more around okay, well, Ash is just not getting enough carbohydrate per minute or per hour during his long runs in training and or a race. So the gut training is to get him to that point rather than just going, oh, you currently have X amount of carbs per hour. Let's just triple that overnight. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, it was for a number of reasons, I think, there in terms of um, where we're tackling it also just in terms of his training um, nutrition, particularly if he had a long, you know, some of the long run days, um, 
trying to actually get what Ash needed in, an easy way to do that as well is obviously through training nutrition because what, you know, you and I probably both see is when um, ultra runners particularly or endurance athletes, if they've got a session when they're out for, let's say, four or five hours and they're training low or not getting much in, that's a big part of their day. Um, so it's also about getting the carbohydrate in during just to help with meeting those carbohydrate requirements and um, supporting that. Um, but, yeah, definitely, I mean, we always say, like, you might be feeling okay and getting through with things, but um, let's see if we can actually optimise your intake and, and increase it. And I think probably with Ash we saw that the during intake was on the lower end um, and so we were going to see how much can we step that up um, considering how much um, he's, he's training and expending in his races. Yep. And can you remember, Ash, roughly how much grams per hour of carbs you were getting in sort of prior to that? Yeah, so depending on the, the length of training run I was doing for my long runs, anything under three hours, I wasn't taking anything. Mm -hmm. And now in hindsight, that, that was done from the perspective I was thinking, oh, I'm going to be adapt doing more better from a fat adaptation perspective. I'm going to be great when I get into a race because I'm going to be fat adapted. And then what I was doing for over, what I was doing before over four, up to three and plus hours was I was taking similar fuel that I would, the, the product I was taking on races mm -hmm. um, and, and mixing that up. But again, it was very hit and miss. There, mm. there was nothing calculated. There was, I'll, I'll go out, I might have a bit of a gel after three hours, mm. but very minimal planning. Mm -hmm. yep. yep. Okay. So it sounds like it was probably around the 30 grams an hour mark-ish, maybe even less sometimes. Probably even less because if, if you look at a gel, it's about 20 grams, just over 20 grams of carbs in, in yeah. most of the gels. I yeah. think it would have been less. And the other thing was, like yeah. you said, Ash, you were fueling later. So, you know, you might have gone for a few hours perhaps where you weren't getting anything in and then you were getting something in um, when you were kind of really feeling bonked perhaps. Um, so it was, you know, the education around that in terms of um, needing to um, fuel early um appreciating that when we actually take something on board you know it it could take up to 60 minutes or so for it to actually be oxidized for your for your muscles yeah again it's that that misconception and lack of knowledge around thinking you're doing the right thing when in reality you're probably being detrimental to yourself and your training um, yeah if you haven't got the fuel in yes there might be some things that are happening adaptive wise and you're not able to get the most out of that that longer session that, that you potentially would if you were fueled correctly and, and properly for it yeah yep exactly um yeah and I think we probably would have spoken just um in terms of yeah we can definitely do some training long um sorry some training low but we need to be strategic with that and not do it all the time and and that that became really apparent when we worked out my, my weekly plan, that training mm. low. Um, mm -hmm. And again, Alan, you you used a comment because it took me a little bit of while to twig and understand it. Yep. And when you, Alan, put it into perspective of look at it, how you periodize training, you periodize carbs similarly during the week, that, that became, the, it, that clicked it for me then. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Understanding that, yes, I've got an easy session tomorrow, 
I don't need to be fueled as much for that and I can go in low yep. compared with now I've got a difficult hill session and I need to be fully fueled and ready for that to do that to execute it properly. Yeah, yeah. And we talked um, back on episode 2A, I think, of the podcast with Dr. Sam Impey, who did a lot of that um, sort of research around sort of fat adaptation in response to, um, you know, the amount of glycogen, so the stored carbohydrate you have in your muscle, which is obviously reflective of how aggressive you do or don't fuel, but also how much you then use up during the training session itself. And he talked about, you know, they have that glycogen threshold hypothesis, which is essentially you get that fat adaptation as long as the glycogen level is below a certain point at the end of exercise. So if you go out and do a really long session, even if you're well fueled with carbs at the start of it, if you finish, you know, close to empty, which you probably will just because of the Mm. nature of the session, you're going to get that fat adaptation regardless of whether you did the session fasted or not. So, Mm. um, and we've, our labs published a paper showing pretty much that just in the last few mm. months as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yep. And um, so, Ash, can you describe for us what the plan was from a gut training perspective? Um, I guess just in terms of how often, um, with relation to carbohydrate fueling. There was a couple of areas we looked at, be it the the long run. That was probably yep. the one that got the key focus. Yep. And there was also then we looked a little bit around gut training, timing of meals, of when it to get used to running with a, a fuller stomach, essentially. Now, there are only certain sessions you can do that around, um, mm. and that, that's the easy runs. I did have a couple of fails on that, trying to do a speed session when an hour early or less that you've just had a, a quite a large bowl of carbs and pasta, that yep. was a massive fail. So yep. there's, the, the, it was a bit of trial and error and that, 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 that there were mistakes on my side. Yep. Um, so there was, the getting used to the actual running with a, a stomach that has food in it and hasn't fully passed through. And that was deliberate from the for the event that I'm, I'm training for, for the longer distance events that I'm training for, being used to be able to actually run fuel at an aid station very quickly mm-hmm. and get back out on, on the trail. But the probably the, the, the key bit was around the the carb training for undergut training for, for the longer runs. Mm-hmm. And we, we started those around, I think we started around 35 grams of carbs an hour. Mm-hmm. But the big difference for me was when we started so for a say a three hour run we would start taking those carbs on pretty much straight away which was a very big difference for me so Mm -hmm. i'd been used to and i'll wait two potentially three hours before i start taking carbs on whereas on your advice stefan the plan was no start taking the carbs immediately so as soon as i started running i'd i'd have my my drink bottle with, with the carbs in and pretty much from from the start, as soon as I'm setting off, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm taking the, the carbs on board to, to get used to it. So um, that that was the starting point from it. So mm-hmm. some big big changes around one being more planned around what I actually take out for for the mm-hmm. long run, and two for when when I take mm-hmm. it as well. Start taking mm-hmm. the carbs on board. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Um, and it was kind of like nice and frequent too, wasn't it? So it's like, okay, yeah, 15, 20 minutes in something, then next 20 minutes something, you know, kind of nice and consistent, not too long of gaps. 
Yeah, absolutely. The, the, there was, I didn't have some straight away and then wait an hour. So yes. my, my aim was when I measured things out into my, my soft flask that I used, my, I found for me 250 mils of um, liquid an hour. I could yep. handle quite well. So I used to dissolve um, my, my carbs into that. And then over that hour, I would just gradually, I'd be keeping a check on it and I'd be just literally sipping on it every every few minutes. I'd have a little bit. So mm. the, it was it was very much spaced out over that period of time as opposed to um, getting to the end of the hour and then trying to, to consume the 250 mils. Yep. What amount did you find you were able to get up to? You know, you sort of started off at the 35 grams or so of carbs an hour. Um, where are you at now with um, the amount you're being able to tolerate? I got up, I started at 35 and then there was a, a gradual progression. So over a period of a number of weeks, I, I would go from 35, I went up to 40. I think I jumped from 40 to 50, found that a little uncomfortable, stayed at 50 for a couple of weeks. But ultimately, I, I managed to get right up to 90 grams an hour of of carbs um, yeah. so that that was and i found that quite tolerant i didn't have any issues with that yeah. and again spreading it out over the over the hours uh, as i consumed it um, yeah but that that was a, a progression over a, a number of weeks to get there yeah um, yep and you said um when you sort of you know got to about 50 it kind of you did start to feel a bit uncomfortable what were the symptoms that you that you experienced if you can remember yeah I when I got started getting up around that level there I'd find that it would take longer for my stomach to clear yeah so I would find the carbs or it'd be sitting in my stomach a lot longer Um, and the way I would have to deal with that was potentially when I first made that jump the, the first week I would I would have to slow down and back off a little bit Yep. and introduce more water um, mm-hmm. to help that 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 there that seemed to help yeah. um but yeah it was it was just the general sat there for far much longer and just mm-hmm. didn't get absorbed as quick mm-hmm. but persisting yep. um with it it seemed to then dull down by the sounds yeah it, it's similar to when we do training if you you won't gradually increase the load and if you make a too big a jump, you you end up a little bit sore and you, you mm-hmm. struggle a, li- a little bit for that that mm-hmm. week. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I found if I, I persisted at it, mm-hmm. I could push beyond that and then uh, it, it it would creep back up. I did have um, I I had a break for for a few weeks. Unfortunately, like a number of people, I caught COVID. And mm-hmm. what I found after that, when I got back into it again, where mm-hmm. I didn't do my long run. I couldn't go do. I couldn't go straight back into. I would the not nine. have started back up at the yep. ninety. I, I yep. don't think I'd have been. And that was the same with my training as well. I was nowhere near where yeah. I was pre the, the the break. So it was a a bit of a detraining effect as well when I when I stepped away from it. Yeah. Hmm. Did you find yep. that you needed to go straight back down to the thirty five with that um, period of of rest, or or you didn't need to go down as low? I didn't need to go down as low, yeah. which that that's one positive. I, I dropped down mm. to around, I think it's about 50. I got yeah. went back down to, um, yeah, and good. I found that that was 
one, it was good from the perspective of there was a good energy consumption balance that I was getting yeah. in. Yeah. And it wasn't initially, it wasn't too difficult and sitting on me too heavy as, as I consumed out of it. I think I started, went back in about three hours and, and 50 grams an hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, yep. I think there's a really important point you make there, Ash, about the sort of that progressive training effect being just like how you train your muscles, you know, from the actual running itself. And we talked a bit about this last week, Steph, you know, the fact that I think some people start this and then they get a bit of gut discomfort and they say, oh, I can't handle it and then give up or stop there. And what they don't realize is like any form of training, it is going to be a bit uncomfortable for a period of time while your body adapts. Um, and if you don't continue to do that, you you know, if you then back it off, you'll never adapt. Just like if you never trained beyond a certain point, distance-wise or pace-wise or whatever, you're never going to get better at running um, or riding or whatever it is. So yeah, it's exactly the same. You know, you've got to have that progression and it's going to take a bit of time and there's going to be a bit of discomfort there along the way, but um, that's all all part of the process, I suppose. Um, just with that, Ash, I mean, you mentioned at that 50 grams an hour, you started to add in a bit more fluid, but the the initially 35 grams an hour and then all the way up to 90 grams an hour, was that all coming in the drinks or were you using like gels and food and things as well? I, I initially started with uh, fluids um, mm. up to about 60 grams um, and I actually got up to 90 grams in fluids as well. I had to start, what, what I couldn't do though was use off-the-shelf products. Mm. Um, you, you reach the limit around the how many grams of uh, glucose that you can absorb at, at yeah. the 60 grams. So I had to start, go out and start making, effectively start making my own sports drinks. Yep. I, I also like that being a, um, a Yorkshireman, I'm, I'm very tight with my money and I did not want to spend <laughs> the amount of money I was spending on sports drink first mm. of all. So when I was looking at what was in those products, it, it was, it, there's basically dextrose. Um, so I was, I, to get up to the 90, I was mixing the dextrose with a fructose. Mm-hmm. The, the only issue I found with a fructose was it was very sweet. Yeah. Um, that added a sweetness, which when you're putting 30 grams on top of the 60 grams of the dextrose that that's i'm not sure if i could have stomached that for a longer period than maybe five or six hours yeah um, yeah but the, the other reason was what i started doing as well was mixing the i would try different variations of that again with an off-the-shelf product yeah. you don't get you can't do that you're restricted on what they put in there and 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 their ingredients and their balances so i could do a 50 20 i could do a 60 30 and and mix it up like that so i I found doing that and then once i got up to the 90 um alan you and i we we had another consultation we had a a chat and it was let's drop that back down a little bit more we've we can see we've done that we've got up to the 90 um and i felt quite comfortable at 90 Mm. and doing it there and then we backed it back down to 60 again and that's where we started introducing solids um mm. I, I the bringing in I, I like rice balls that 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 was a good one some of the 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 sandwiches that, that you you described are bringing those in as well and again for a longer event that i'm training for that that's where 
um, I need to focus as well, knowing that I'm not going to be able to sustain that level of, of liquid consumption over that long longer period yeah. of time because of some of the, the the effects that you get with that. Yeah. Um, but it, it was it was good to be able to go up to the 90 grams an hour mm. and then prove to almost prove to myself, no, I am capable of this if need be, mm. and then bring it back down again to a more level that was relevant for the for the for the training that that I was doing. Yeah. I, I did have a bit of a failure with with some of the mixing my own in um I tried I did dextrose and dextrose and fructose mix. I then was gonna give maltodextrin a try. Um mm-hmm. if you if you try mixing that with water and um using it it just becomes a, a, a very thick paste mm-hmm. um which was yeah, you need a bit more water. Yeah, I had a big yeah. fail on that. It'd have been great if it had been colder and I would have been going out and making my own gel, but nah, um, I, I preferred sticking with dextrose. And you you can buy dextrose for about a tenth of the price of what you buy a sports product off off the shelf or from a running mm. shop. So mm, yeah, plus you have the you you can make your own. You really get the opportunity to um, mix it. your own rate ratios. Yeah, and optimize it for yourself. Mm. Um, yeah and it's one of the things as you said like if you go out and buy a, a pre-made sports drink powder what's going to happen is to get up to that 90 grams an hour as you said you'll either end up with too much glucose because of the ratio between the glucose and the fructose or it's just simply that the sodium content is so high just the fl- the flavor content like the food acids and things that are added from a flavor perspective it's just going to become so harsh the flavor it'll be almost undrinkable, particularly over a longer period of time, like an ultra. Um, and so, yeah, I guess that way you can dial the carbs up to where you need to using the raw ingredients and then add as much or as little flavoring as you want. Do you add any particular flavoring or do you just have it plain? I don't at the moment. I prefer it plain. Yep. Um, um, but the, all, ever since I've, I've done these events, I've always found that I've never really had a, a flavor fatigue type of event I'm, I'm normally quite probably an area i'm lucky in i, yeah. don't, I don't get 80k into a 100k event and suddenly can't stomach something i can't taste mm. it um i'm quite lucky like that so at the moment i'm i'm not adding flavor in i know we've we've got a couple of flavors on the list that we can try and i'm, I'm going to give them an experiment because i don't think doing and the time i'm going to take probably for the, the 100 mile i've got lined up next that's going to be a lot longer out on my feet. Um, you might want compared... a bit of excitement in your taste buds. Yeah, yeah, I'm, th- <laughs> I'm thinking that from a, a 100k event that I can do relatively quicker compared with a mile or over uh, over there in the mountains where I'm mm. going to be out there for a long time. Mm. I'm going to need a fair amount of variation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. <laughs> so the, my own naked brand's not not going to. Not going to do it. For that. <laughs> Cut it. Yeah. 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 And the other thing, I guess, um, just for listeners and possibly yourself, Ash, just in terms of you mentioned, obviously, the fructose is very sweet. One of the little tricks you can use here is actually to use normal sugar, just white mm. sugar, which is sucrose. And it's 50% glucose, 50% fructose, but the taste in your mouth isn't quite as sweet as fr- pure fructose. And so that's another way of getting it in. So you can use dextrose plus sucrose. You know, dextrose plus normal sugar, essentially, or maltodextrin plus um, sucrose as well is one that I've often used quite a bit um, to get the fructose without quite the same level of sweetness. Um, that can be a handy mm. one. I, you're nodding there, Steph. I think you've used that before as well. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree in terms of, yeah, the, the sucrose can be a little bit less sweet. Um, and I do think sometimes adding different flavours can also potentially dull down the sweetness. Um, mm. I know like there's um, sports companies that where you can actually customise with them the um, mix that you get and um, it, it, they, they manage to do that quite well even with getting that, you know, 90 grams of carbs. So mm. I think also a twi- tweak if you are making your products. Also just do have a play around with the different flavours um, whether it be, you know, ginger or try a range. Um, but I think the tip there, Al, in terms of the sugar is definitely one that will help dial that down. Yep, yep. Okay. And so with the, the fluid ash, you mentioned at that 50 grams an hour, you sort of had to increase the fluid a little bit. Had Did that stay increased? Like initially you started with only about 250 mils an hour of fluid. Has the volume of fluid crept up over time as well? No, I, that and that's been quite good because obviously I'm very conscious and certainly in the colder weather at the moment here in Oz around how much I'm drinking mm. um, because of the, the potential issues of, of over drinking. I, I found that I was able to dissolve the 90 grams into or, or two lots of 90 grams into a 500 mil flask. Mm-hmm. I never went above the, the 250 now it didn't fully dissolve. There were, it, it became fully saturated the solution, but it didn't yeah. fully dissolve. But I, I could get it into the flask enough to consume it. Um, but I was very conscious and didn't want to overconsume on the water, especially in this colder weather when uh, the, the, the sweat rate's way lower. Um, yeah. So, um, no, I, and I was I was very conscious as well, just from a my own perspective that I how much I, I wanted to drink during that time. Um, that for me, that that two fifty mils, and whatever concentration I had in at that time for that run, that seemed to work quite well for me. Mm. Mm. And that's a very high. I mean, your, your typical off the shelf sports drink is sort of six to eight percent carbohydrate. So you know, six or eight grams per hundred mils of drink. Um, some of the the brands that are designed for that more aggressive fueling, you know, your Mortons and your SIS beta fuels and things are around that 15, 16%. But that mix you've described there, Ash, is like up around the 35%. So it's, you know, a big step again. But it sounds like after a, a little bit of an initial struggle, you managed to, to tolerate it without too much trouble. Are you having additional plain water as well as that? Yeah, so I, I when, when I go out and head out and... I don't like to just solely rely on on the water from the nutrition side as well. So I, I carry a, a separate flax that is just pure water. Yeah. And that for me, I, that balances it out nicely mm. in that on the in Sydney and on, on hotter days, if I require to drink more, I can just have pure water and it's not tied to having the, the nutrition that I've got there. So it's one way to keep them separate. Um, mm. So depending on the environmental conditions um, and what's happening on the day, on a really hot day over here, um, I can go through quite a bit of water if it if it's it's a lot hotter. And because it's separate, that doesn't mean that I'm consuming those additional carbs. I think that had caused me a, with with the concentrations yeah. I'm up to. If I had it in the same and was relying on the, on the same source for for my water as well as my nutrition. I think that would be a bit of a problem. I, I, I yeah. would struggle with that, yeah. yeah. Um, but keeping them separate makes makes a massive difference, I found. 
Yeah, and it sounds like like that thirty five percent mix is it's essentially like a halfway between a gel and a sports drink, and then you're using the water to top that up. So when it mixes in your stomach, it's no longer the thirty five percent; it might be down around the you know fifteen percent mark or whatever, depending on how much water you're drinking on the day. And I guess it's the other thing is it's a very um, efficient way to carry it, particularly in training where you know you've got to carry all this stuff with you you don't have aid stations along the way to pick things up when you're going out for a four or five hour run by yourself and so you, you know it's one of the things we talked about a few weeks ago is how do runners you know it's, it's easy on a bike it's there's a lot more ways to carry things but when you're running it's a lot more difficult to carry all your nutrition with you for some of these longer training sessions and that seems like a really efficient way of doing it a, f- a few sessions up there where i was out for four four plus hours and exactly right you can i can measure out the equivalent of a 500 mil flask into some ziploc bags put them in my pack and then as as i go along and require more and then all i've got to do is add add water to them into the flask so it's really handy from that perspective and again it's really i i know exactly how much i've had as i progress um so I can, as each hour progresses and, and I, I work through the flask, I can go, right, that one's finished, top that one up, put put the contents of the Ziploc in, uh, top it up with some water and and, and make it up on the go. Uh, but yeah, it, it was means you don't have to carry lots of additional gels and things like that. I, I, I know exactly where I am nutrition wise. And I think the other thing there is um, you are, I'd I'd suspect that when you're getting in that amount in the 250 ml flask, you'll be increasing your fluid intake, like you've said, up and down depending on the conditions. So it's not like you're getting that concentration, you know, hour upon hour upon hour. I'd I'd see that that would be diluted at some times. The other thing is... um, the carbohydrate mix that you're having because you do have the mix of the different carbohydrate types your emptying from the gut is actually quicker than if we were just getting that from glucose or maltodextrin so it's a little bit of a misconception that some of us used to be taught that you know we had to stick to this kind of six percent or so solution now we've seen with more recent research that uh, by having that mix, it can actually empty from the gut quicker than we than we used to think as well. But you're right in terms of having it in your Ziploc bag. I, I did exactly the same thing, Ash, where I used to have my carbohydrate powder mix in my Ziploc bag and then just chuck it into the soft flask and mix it in with, with water and it was nice and easy and you knew exactly how much you'd, you'd get. Mm. So what difference do you do you feel in terms of now being successful with your gut training and being able to get in the extra amount of carbohydrate um how do you feel that's affected your training and or your racing so from a a training perspective my long runs definitely i notice toward more towards the end so for the last hour um i'm definitely feeling and, I, and when I look back on my, my training diary and my notes that I've made, you can see it in there mm. just with some of the comments around how, how fresher I'm feeling at the back end of those runs. Whereas previously it would be, I'm feeling all right for the first couple of hours. Last hour I was tired. So there's, there's that. Mm. And what that also means is then I'm probably re- sustaining a more regular pace. Um, one, one of the other things 
I, I do in my training on my long runs as well. And it was a goal I, I set with Andy, who who coaches me, was we, we started out yeah. last year working out what, what the goal would be for the races. And we're trying to avoid a time goal, mm-hmm. sticking to process goals. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the goals that we set was, and it was deliberately done so that we could have it as part of the race, mm-hmm. And also include it as part of the training. Mm-hmm. And the little mantra was race the last 20. Mm-hmm. And it was always around racing the last 20% of the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, so depending, that can be just over 30 minutes on a three-hour run. Yeah. Um, and 40 plus, hour, 40 plus minutes, sorry, on a, on a, on a four-hour. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I would do in that last 20 was deliberately pick up the pace, have a fast finish, and try and and hold on and what i found was when i was properly fueled Mm. the pace that i could run at in that last that those fast finishes in that last 20 20 percent that made a massive difference there Mm. um whereas before i was really working hard to hit that pace and and try and up it and for when i was properly fueled and fueling through continually through those longer runs Mm. that that made a, a a massive massive difference um, and when when I look back at some of the, the training, longer training runs I've done when I was up in the Blue Mountains, that is noticeable as well there mm. in that um, I'd, I'd go do, deliberately go do three or four reps of one of the longer hills. And I noticed to, definitely towards the end, noticing that my energy levels are a lot more level mm-hmm. and it, it's not, I'm not definitely not as fatigued while I'm still tired after running being on my feet for four or five hours but nowhere near in comparison when when I was trying to do it uh, previously without not taking anything on board for at least three hours and then almost cramming for the last couple mm-hmm. of hours um, mm-hmm. so it, it definitely and obviously that then has a, a knock-on effect longer term for for the adaptation from a training perspective yeah 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 and um, have you had a chance to put this kind of to the, I guess, the ultimate test um, in an ultra-distance race yet? No, not yet. <laughs> I, I was signed up for UTA and that was my my test. Um, that was my B race prior to, to doing another uh, event. Yeah, okay. And yep. I was all lined up for that and it got delayed and pushed out to October. Mm-hmm. So... I'm still comfortable though that we're we're on track and doing the right things based on I, I've been doing a few sessions up in in the Blue Mountains when I've been up there and that mm-hmm. that they've been four or five hours mm-hmm. and no issues on on those so um and then back to bringing on board the, the the solid food working with Alan that that's that's helping so mm-hmm. I'm definitely comfortable that that doing it now and doing it earlier mm-hmm. is giving me plenty of time to get used to it for uh, an, an event now, i'm a bit disappointed i haven't had the chance to give it a Just crack in, that, a, yeah. in a rail rail events yeah. yeah and it it was one of the reasons when i initially started speaking to you steph one mm. of the reasons i wanted to do it was mm. training wise i can control that mm. um I could, there's, there's a number of things i can control and previously when i'd done my nutrition it's probably an area i'd neglected mm. And now in, in, in hindsight, it's like, I, well, actually I can control that. I can control what I 
eat. I can control when I eat it. I can control how much. And I think a number of people probably go into these events not even having thinking about it. And mm. the, probably the first time they might think about what they're going to eat is when they get to the first aid station mm. and did they grab the lollies or did they grab the melons? So mm. I, I, was, I was more of the, I was thinking, well, I can control this. Mm. I've got a, an event coming up. I've, I've got the experience now. So mm. it was another thing to not worry about on race day. Yeah. So there are there are enough things happening on race day mm. that you've got to worry about. Mm. Whereas if I can step onto the start line and go, no, training's in the bank, comfortable mm. that done. Yeah. I've got my nutrition plan, which Alan and I have, have have worked out for my next event, and that that's aligned specifically for that event. Yeah. And now we're going to train on that, and it it's just uh, something less to worry about and something more that I can control. Yeah. Um, as opposed to what's the race director putting on it on. Uh, what's what's he going to put on the tables that day mm, exactly what buffet can i yeah yeah yep. and it, it's <laughs> probably something people don't think of from that perspective and certainly i didn't either mm. early on yeah and, and looking back in hindsight from that the gut training perspective and, and what you've done so far and as you said obviously the solid part that's kind of just beginning now but is there anything you you think with that approach that you could have done differently that might have worked out better, or are you pretty happy overall with with how that kind of process played out? I I wish I'd have done it earlier. Um, mm. I mean, from a hindsight and a longer term perspective, I I really wished I'd I've done that earlier. Mm. And from overall, I, I no, I'm, I'm I'm comfortable with the approach, but I think that was because I was I'd a lot of good guidance from from yourselves as well um i kept a, a regular notes diary as, as part of my training so i could see how it was progressing and yes i did have challenges like where where i may have possibly jumped too quick um but it was okay because i was able to either hold at that level and back off yeah. I don't think you jumped too quick. I think um, there's going to be that discomfort and it kind of needs to be in a way that discomfort because um, we need to challenge the gut to accommodate and if we're not getting a bit of discomfort, maybe we're not challenging it enough. So um, I don't think I think you did that's a normal response and then you responded to that really well by um, pushing through it and persisting. And then that helps that adaptation. So I see the discomfort was perhaps the um, emptying wasn't speeding up yet or the walls weren't extending enough. But by you consisting with that stimulus, then you're making it um, change. So, yeah, I think you did well in terms of the, the progress. Um, and finally, do you see, I mean, obviously we've talked about this kind of issue around sort of challenging the gut and, and trying to build the amount of carbohydrate you can get in per hour. And then obviously, uh, you know, as you're starting with the solids now around the variety, but also to be able to accommodate bulkier food rather than just relying on liquids. Is this a discussion that you see fellow runners having in terms of, you know, how much carbs I'm getting in or, you know, I'm getting gut issues, maybe I need to just work on that and, and try and get the body to adapt to that? Or or if not, how, how are people sort of talking about this from your experience? From personal experience, I, I still think we're a little bit behind in ultra mm -hmm. running. And I'll, I'll give a great example of that. 
there was recently I saw on social media a meme put up on a a trail running um, channel where it was around, hey, Ironman athlete working out how many carbs an hour he's going to consume. Trail runner, hey, I'm just going to hit the the checkpoint and just chow down on whatever's there. And and I looked mm-hmm. at that and I thought, I'm going to go with the Ironman athlete um, because that guy, <laughs> as much as it, I'm, I'm a trail runner and I love trail running, yep. that is a guy who has worked out his nutrition, he's planned, he's trained, mm-hmm. and he's probably going to be successful compared with someone yeah. who hasn't thought about it, is going to probably rock up at the first aid station and start putting lollies down and, and having a go at that. Mm-hmm. And from that perspective, I, th- I think the other ones as well is uh, the, the, we, we, we keep, there's a lot of poor knowledge out there. Um, I th- I th- there was another one I saw someone was oh, cramping popped up and a classic one mm-hmm. and Alan, I'm, I, I actually referred someone to your podcast because the comment that they got back was <laughs> go take magnesium. And I referred them to the podcast where mm-hmm. you um, recently, recently talked around about the percentage of magnesium in sweat. And it was, I said, no, go listen to this. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, I, th- I think we're still playing catch up. I think we're getting there eventually. And I know certainly when I have mm-hmm. conversations with the people and the, the group people I run with, there's, we're probably we're, we're getting there and we're getting better, but I think we're still tied to the two scoops of a product and and try that mm. because that's what the product says I should have, mm. as opposed to, well, what do I actually need, mm. not what the marketing department thinks I need. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that that's a big thing. I think it's it's breaking away from that and 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 I, I think I've been lucky, but working with with the two of you that I've that's really helped me get away from that and have the confidence mm. to do that mm. um, and move away from buying things off the shelf that are a branded product to making my own and so that I can get those concentrations and actually uh, and dial it in better for myself. Yeah, and, and I think that, that triathlon versus ultra or you know, trail running example is a, is a great one because I think sometimes it's about the culture of the sport as well. Like, you know, people like the ultra runners go, oh, those triathletes, you know, the type A personalities with the $10,000 bikes and everything <laughs> scientific and they're getting, you know, aerodynamic helmets and all this kind of stuff. And so it's very scientific. And I think people are like, well, you know, that kills the vibe of a trail race. And so, but, you know, as you said, you know, planning out your carbohydrate, planning your nutrition properly doesn't have to kill the vibe at the event. Um it's not completely changing the culture of the event. It's just helping people get through it, being a bit more comfortable and probably running better and enjoying themselves more. It's helping make the vibe. It's helping you yeah. finish yeah. and get to the end and not yeah. making it a, a um, yeah. Well, I, think, a, yeah. I <laughs> think GI issues are one of the biggest causes of DNFs yeah. in, in, mm. in racing. Mm. They are indeed, yeah. And if you, you can control at, that, yeah. why, why, why would you rely on something that you don't know is going to be on the the aid, ta- on the, the, the aid station, you can control that. So take yep. it away from the race director and make it your problem. Mm. Yeah, yep. absolutely. All right. Well, I'm going to hand over to Steph now to finish us off, Ash, with our bonus round where we find out a little bit more about you besides trail running and your gastrointestinal tract. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, let's go first with favourite race you have done. Favourite race I've done. That would be an event in the UK called the OM, which is the original mountain marathon. Uh, I got an opportunity mm-hmm. to do that uh, a couple of years ago. Um, a friend, Jim, rang me up and said, hey, I'm heading over to the UK to do this event. Do you want to do it? It's a team event. Could pair up. And I was like, yeah, yeah, um, I'll, I'll come and do it. Um, what I liked about it was the the event is described, they deliberately run it in October, so the weather's bad. <laughs> and they deliberately run it in mountainous areas where they know it's going to be difficult. And you, it's one way you have to self-navigate. So I, I really enjoyed uh... that. It wasn't a case of just full of pink tape. It was a case of mm. you. And, and the year we did it, there was quite a high failure rate from the the weather mm. the, there was quite bad storms mm. and i know certainly jim and i we we had um, an interesting time with all the rain and coming over from australia to to the uk in in yes. october uh, that that's definitely my, my favorite one mm. i've done so far so that was a it sounds like that's one where you you're running that actually together and you need to do it as a as a team yeah yeah, and you have to navigate yeah. it yourself as well, which was added. Which mm. I, I like that kind of event where you're a bit, it's absolute mm. reliant on yourself. Uh, so there's no, mm. you get given a map at the, actually at the start line. So you, you can't mm. even plan your route before you go. It's there's the map, there you go. Um, and you, you have to work your own way around, around the course. Um, and just the, the, conditions were way more challenging than um what what i've been used mm. to here so I, I, I really enjoyed that that was a great one mm. not for me that one you could get me in good <laughs> conditions and give me a map and uh <laughs> i'd be very very lost <laughs> but but it sounds lovely for you um <laughs> one thing on your bucket list that you haven't had a chance to do i've i've got this and it's an event, my own event. I am determined I'm going to jump on the train and head over to Perth, and I'm going to run back to Sydney. I I well, I really want to do that. Yeah. I just I, I suspect I'm going to have to wait for a number of years until I retire. Um, but I <laughs> I just want to jump on the train, go over, take the train over there, and then make my own way back on by foot and run. I... At least starting from Margaret River first. <laughs> <laughs> might not leave get <laughs> what's um i'm not good with my geography what is that distance well, it's a few thousand k i think yeah yeah, yeah. well yeah oh the, there God. was a race. i know okay. there was a race a few years ago where they actually did it um i think i probably want to do oh. it at a bit more leisurely pace um, but it's definitely yeah yeah per Perth to sydney that's, i'd love to do that list. yeah 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 awesome um and what's a sport you've always wanted to try but you've not um for whatever reason had had the chance i this is a bit one that's a bit probably off off field i'd love to do dog sled racing so, oh yeah. dog dog sled? yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so yep. something yep. like the iditarod race I, I again similar to that where you you're looking after yourselves you're out there you got a your dogs you got to look after your dogs um, I, I reckon something yeah. like that. I would love to do that. Yeah, I think that'd be pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. 
Cold environments seem to be a theme with that one, Steph. Yeah. People want to do bobsledding or skeleton <laughs> and all sorts of things. There you go. Um, favorite sporting moment in 2022 so far? Well, there's quite a few to pick from at the moment. Isn't it? We've got a Tour de France on, um, mm-hmm. World Athletic Championship, a uh, number of events. Yeah. So I've, I've actually gone for, I'm going to pick two if I can, and they are poles yep. apart. So the, the, the one I'm going for is very different to events I do. So it's the 100 metres in the World Athletics recently with Shelley Ann Fraser-Price. Yeah. Yep. I, I mean, what an athlete to, to mm-hmm. do what she has done over that number there. So that her winning that final in the World Championship for me was was one. My second one is the... I, I love the golden hour at Western States and Jordan's run. Oh, yeah. So that's yeah. the final hour 29 to 30 before the cutoff. And you've got all the people who have been absolutely grinding mm-hmm. it out. And it's mm. so emotional. And when you see the, the, the support that they get coming in, mm. um, so 100 meter, 100 mm. miler, very different events, yeah. but still, yeah, yeah very, uh, that was watching that this year was, was great. Um, so, mm. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. And seeing like them, because I'm sure that, you know, when we're coming near the latter part of the hours for Western states, they've, really suffered as well probably some of them you know they may have experienced for whatever reason poor nutrition maybe injury maybe gut issues or something but they are still determined to finish as well um so yeah but obviously athletes from all levels being able to do that um gnarly event so um yeah that that was cool um and then, do you live by any piece of advice, or you've got kind of this motto that you that you go by? Yeah, it's and it, it applies to to work life. It applies to when I'm out running, training, and it's it's just simply it, it will pass. And in that, nothing's permanent. Um, mm. So when I'm if I'm out on a doing a hill rep and I'm at the edge of it, I, I know it's going to pass and I'll get through it. And that session, I'll get through it. Uh, likewise, if I'm doing my long runs, it will pass. Or if I'm having it's a difficult, difficult time at work, nah, it's okay. It'll pass. You'll get through it. So it, it's a simple one, but mm, it, it, a good it, one. I think it really, really helps. Yeah. Yep. That's a goodie. Yeah. Yep. I like that. I keep reminding myself of that one right, <laughs> right now with my yeah. uh, thesis yeah. submission. <laughs> Yeah, yep. <laughs> it, will hard work. it will pass. <laughs> Good one. Um, yeah, well, thanks heaps, um, Ash, for, for coming on board. And it's actually been quite nice for, I think, both of us seeing that um, Al and I have been able to work with you. And I know from my perspective and ours, we love working with people that uh, really are interested and take on board the information and actually then implement it and are good at recording and then giving that feedback back so we can actually make improvements. Um, so so that's really cool. I think our listeners will find this really useful, getting that practical perspective and how they can perhaps go about it. And we wish you luck for your 100-miler um, event coming up. 
thank you very much. I, I appreciate coming on here and, and giving an opportunity to chat about this today. Thank you, guys. And thank you very much mm. for the support you've given me uh, to get, mm. get through this. Awesome. Thank you very much, Ash. That was great. Um, and now I am going to get the lovely one and only summariser out to um, just summarise from 41A and 41B some of the key take-home messages for the listeners. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed that interview with Ash. Uh, I think it was really great, as we said before, you know, to get that reflection on what you'd done, what I'd done, and what he'd done, and, and how it all came together. And you know, a really textbook example, I think, of gut training. So, our question, obviously, for this episode: What is gut training, and how do I do it? I guess you know, what is gut training? It's that process of training various parts of your gastrointestinal tract. Uh, and in this context of exercise, it's really to better tolerate either the volume of food and fluids, generally speaking, in the stomach, but also how it empties and moves through the GI tract, um, but also training potentially the digestion and absorption of nutrients, which is going to be primarily carbohydrate from the food that we've eaten as well. So I guess the, the obvious question is, well, why would you want to gut train? Well, either one, because you're not tolerating that volume of food and fluids in your stomach, it's causing you discomfort potentially reflux vomiting that kind of thing uh, and or you you know you're not tolerating higher amounts of carbohydrate where you think maybe I need more carbohydrate per minute or per hour during my running or riding or whatever it is um, but when I try to do that I get sort of all sorts of gut symptoms uh, and maybe that's in some cases because we're not producing enough digestive enzymes to digest down the carbohydrate or the actual transporters that absorb that carbohydrate from the gut into the blood. Um, we don't have enough of those or they're not functioning well enough to actually get that amount of carbohydrate out of the gut compared to what we're feeding through it. I guess the, the first thing that, that really came out both in last week's episode and this one as well with Ash, I think is that when you are doing gut training, it is going to require some level of discomfort in order to adapt. And, you know, that's pretty much the same with any form of training that we do, whether we're trying to train our muscles um, or whatever it is. You know, if we go out there and just do an easy run or an easy ride every day for our life, we're probably not going to get better because we're not putting any strain on the body. We're not stressing those things that we actually want to adapt. And so it's only through that stress that we are going to see that adaptation. So from a gut point of view, yes, you are going to have to put up with a bit of gut discomfort when you're gut training in order to get better. And I think this is one of the things that we see quite often, Steph, is people say, oh, you know, I just don't tolerate this kind of thing or I can only eat these foods because these ones, you know, I just can't tolerate, you know, solid foods or whatever. I, I can't ever you know, eat before I train because I just get gut issues straight away. It's like, well, Yes, but then if you avoid that and never eat for four hours before you train, you're never going to get better at it. And so if you mm. want to be able to do that, you are going to have to go through that discomfort to get to the other side and get to the mm. promised land, so to speak. So I guess that's the first point. Uh, in terms of you know the methods of, of how you go about gut training, there's a couple of different things that you can do. First of all is to look at that pre-exercise gut training. So that is to deliberately go out and train on a full stomach. So having a meal you know shortly before you go training, which again may feel very uncomfortable to begin with, but if you do it regularly, you'll get used to it in most cases and you'll you'll feel more comfortable with that after a period of time. And that's, I guess, particularly relevant for, say, ultra-distance events where you may be actually stopping and having meals at checkpoints mm. along the way uh, or just because that meal is an important part of your fueling strategy for training. You know, if you're training in the late afternoon and having something not long before or eating something first thing in the morning before you go out and train as well, that can be helpful from that perspective. 
In terms of the during training gut training, I guess there's two approaches to that. Uh, and this could be around either training the volume, whether it's uh, fluid or solid foods, or it could be about training the grams per hour of carbohydrate, as we saw in the example with ash. So I guess the first thing is to, uh, or the two approaches you could take would be firstly to say, okay, this is where I want to get to. What's the end goal? And so the sledgehammer approach would be, okay, well, I want to get to, I don't know, 80 grams an hour of carbs and 800 mils an hour of fluid with some solid options in there. So I'm just going to do that from day one. And it's going to be awful and I'm going to have a lot of gut symptoms, but I'm just going to keep persisting and pushing through that until my gut adapts. And it probably will adapt, but it's going to take a bit of time and a, an awful lot of discomfort along the way. The other approach which Ash had tried was more so starting at the current level of tolerance. So what are you currently doing? And then just slowly ratcheting that up and adding on more carbs or more fluid or more solid foods you know, every one or two weeks. And then you know, after a couple of weeks, you get you add a bit more and then after a couple of weeks you add a bit more again until you get to whatever that target level is i think the interesting thing listening to ash's story was that uh, he sort of initially was targeting sort of increased carbohydrate in terms of grams per hour so it was more around that digestion and absorption of carbohydrate but once he started to get up to about 50 grams an hour of carbs the extra food and fluids that went along with that meant he then started to have a bit of a barrier being the volume tolerance and he was starting to get some of the discomfort around the volume and then it took a few weeks at that volume to get used to that and overcome that hurdle before he could push the grams per hour of carbs higher again so in essence he was essentially training both uh, and he found sort of different bottlenecks on the way up through that period in terms of how often you need to do gut training probably at least once if not twice a week um, if you do it more frequently than that, it may speed up the process of adaptation. And there are examples of that where people have got pretty good gut training out of, you know, 10 sessions over two weeks. Uh, however, there's not a lot of research that compares whether, you know, one or two sessions over a longer period of time versus, you know, five days a week over a shorter period of time if one is better than the other. Or is it just the number of sessions that gets you the adaptation? Doesn't matter how more how much you stretch that out or compress it you'll get the same response we just don't know that yet there's very little research in this area unfortunately uh, the other thing that we discussed is you know which training sessions do you do this in do you do it in your long sessions your easy sessions or your, you know, your interval or, or higher intensity type sessions and probably it's good to do a variety of those you want to challenge the gut in different ways and in different scenarios as much as you can um, you know being able to cope with that tolerance of, of food and fluid for a long period of time particularly for the ultra guys is really important but then also being able to cope with that in high intensity particularly running where you're bouncing up and down a lot um, then that's going to be important as well so trying to adapt to all different situations and then finally there may be some benefit of deliberately trying to adapt to a level that's probably beyond what you expect you'll actually need on race day so if you're planning at you know 70 grams an hour of carbs and a certain amount of food and fluids on race day then you might want to go above that to say 90 or 95 grams an hour of carbs knowing that well if i can tolerate that then what i do on race day should be relatively easier but also knowing that in training you're never going to be able to train particularly for the ultra guys, the sort of durations that you'll be doing or for the maybe the non-ultra guys, the sort of intensities that you'll be doing on race day. So, um, you know, while you can train the gut, so to speak, you're probably never going to be able to fully simulate race conditions in training. So if you can go in training what you think is kind of a little bit above and beyond, that's probably not necessarily a bad thing and will give you confidence heading into race day as well. Yeah, yeah. 
Yep, well said. Um, I was just thinking the other point is perhaps for the people that do have a bit more of a, a sensitive gut, so maybe they've got a bit of irritable bowel, um, the approach that they may take that might suit them better is that more gradual um, approach that Ash was doing, so just gradually ramping up the intake um, just because yep. their gut sensitivity will probably react a lot more than um, someone that doesn't have those functional gut disorders. Yeah, yeah, and I guess if you've got any of those sort of, you know, if you're sensitive to FODMAPs, for example, or mm. you've got a really high-fibre diet, you know, we've obviously covered those in previous podcasts, but you need, still need to address those things. You know, yeah. training the gut is not going to be the universal solution to all gut problems during exactly. exercise. It'll certainly help in a lot of cases, but it's mm. it's not a one-size-fits-all solution. And, you know, if you, if, if you need to go back to episode 40a around fiverr and we've had previous ones around fodmaps and around you know gut issues okay. more broadly yep. and the other risk factors that you need to look at trying to control or, or minimize um to to optimize your your race day gut comfort yep yep exactly awesome cool um very good summary as always um now next episode it's 42a can changing my nutrition improve my sleep? Um, and we are very lucky to be joined by Professor Shona uh, Halson. Um, and I reckon this is a good one for you, Al, because I know that you haven't always been getting much sleep in the uh, you, you tend to work crazy hours in the evening and um, don't always get much sleep, so you're trying to get that back. So we hopefully got some good tips from Shona for you. Well, my issue isn't getting to sleep or having quality sleep. That's absolutely fine. It's just allocating enough time in the 24 <laughs> hours to do it. So <laughs> I think that's more an organisational issue. But, yes, uh, I guess on a serious note, I guess if people are having trouble getting to sleep or having mm. poor quality sleep, they don't wake up feeling refreshed um, or they're worried that certain aspects of their nutrition around training or the training itself is impacting on their sleep in, in one way or another, this will be a great episode because we're going to cover all of those sort of things. We'll look at you know why sleep is important for athletes. We'll look at you know do athletes get better, worse, or the same sleep as the general population. We'll look at you know, what impact nutrition has in all its different forms. Is it certain nutrients that are important? Is it the mm. timing or the quantity of meals around, you know, before you go to bed, is that important? Uh, supplements, are there any evidence for certain supplements around helping people either to get to sleep or have a better quality sleep? Or are there things actually we should be wary of to avoid from a nutrition point of view that might negatively impact on sleep? So we'll look at all of those different aspects in this episode. Mm, yeah, I was definitely taking more notice of how wine was affecting my sleep and I definitely <laughs> agree with um, Shona on some of the things she pointed out there. So, um, yeah, anyone that likes their wine, um, I don't know, maybe you want to listen to this or maybe you want to miss this one because you might not like the, the response. Yes. Yeah. So Shona is a, uh, a professor at Australian Catholic University but until recently worked at the Australian Institute of Sport uh, for almost 20 years and was a head of recovery physiology there for over 15 and um, had a particular interest both in recovery of athletes more broadly um, and went to three Olympic Games to support the, the, mm. the Australian team in that capacity. Uh, but, you know, in recent times had a particular interest in sleep as a recovery strategy in athletes and, and how athletes sleep and whether they can improve their sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Awesome. Cool. Um, otherwise, please send us through any questions that you've got or, or feedback to the um, at the Long Munch on Instagram, um, Facebook, or Twitter. And you can listen to us on all your popular podcast platforms. And if you if you like it, um, please subscribe um, and even share with your your friends. All right. Well, I think that's us done for today, Steph. So we'll leave everyone in peace. Hope you've enjoyed this. And uh, yeah, we'll see everyone again next week when we talk about nutrition and sleep. Awesome. Cool. See you then. See ya.